Welcome to Productivity Mastery. Stoy here, a productivity and performance coach on a mission to help businesses and people get the most out of their time. On this podcast, I'll bring you exceptional performers and together unlock what it takes to perform at your highest level. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good day, everybody. Uh, my name is Toen, and I'm super, super excited to have the first episode of 2022. I have a, a full glass of coffee. Lubumila, what about yourself? Same here. There you go. And uh, I'm super excited to welcome as the first guest of the season, the first guest of uh, this year, somebody I deeply admire for who she is and for the fantastic work that she does with uh, her company Plan A for the Planet and all other projects that she's involved in. Lubibio and I had a chance to, to meet in person for the first time, I think, last year in uh, at 15 Seconds Festival in Graz. And uh, we've been in touch ever since. She has a crazy schedule, but uh, I'm super happy that she ha he had a chance to, to join this podcast today. Lubibio, how are you this morning? Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really happy and excited for our discussion. Amazing. Why don't you tell the audience who are you, uh, kind of lead us a little bit through your background, where did you grow up, like, you know, briefly, and then what brought you into doing what you do today? There's a lot of topics to cover. Uh, so um, my name is Romila. I am born in Sofia, uh, the capital of Bulgaria. And uh, what kind of brought me to what I am doing now is uh, actually after I was uh, at 17, essentially, I left Bulgaria. And then after that, I went to study abroad. I've been uh, living in seven different countries. Uh, I was in uh, the UK predominantly, but also Austria, Germany, Spain, uh, Thailand. Uh, and uh, essentially in all these different places, I have been normally and kind of solely focusing on finance. Uh, this is what I studied. This is what I worked on. I was in investment banking, VC, uh, and also FinTech as my last stunt. But in 2016, um, actually I was uh, on a trip where I was supposed to learn surfing and what ended up happening there was that uh, instead of surfing uh, on the first day, I ended up collecting trash from the beach, um, which kind of tainted or gave essentially uh, a bit of a stamp to my uh, trip, but also didn't leave me even after the trip um, as a topic. And I became a bit obsessed with climate change within the span of the 12 months uh, post this trip and uh, essentially decided to educate myself, really understand what is the impact of people on this planet. I care deeply about wildlife and that's kind of what triggered it uh, to start with. And um, essentially within uh, the 12 months of uh, self-education, speaking to a lot of academia uh, people, speaking to uh, also a lot of just normal citizens that maybe had concerns, permanently didn't, um, I quickly understood that this was a topic that I held really dearly to my heart. And I kind of felt that from all the research that I had gathered and done, uh, there was a lot of evidence that there was not enough work done, especially from a business mindset perspective. So I decided to uh, spend my time on uh, doing something for that. And essentially in 2017, I quit my job, quit London, uh, where I was living at that time, I moved to Berlin and set up planning. 
Why Berlin? Berlin is a very special place. I don't know if, if all the people in the audience have been there, but for those, I'm sure it has given them a different uh, reason to like it or dislike it. It's quite of a polarizing city in many ways, but it's also a very welcoming city. It's a city where you can find different perspectives. Uh, there's a lot of activism, but there's also uh, a lot of business. There's a lot of tech. Uh, there's investments these days uh, more than ever. And um, essentially the city has a lot to offer to anyone at any point of their life, especially uh, at the time when you're searching for um, a lot of answers. I can promise you that uh, definitely a lot of my uh, friends in my uh, friend circle uh, all came to Berlin through very serendipitous circumstances. Um, so Berlin at that time in 2016, 17, because I came to investigate in 2016 and then 2017, I decided to settle here was one of the cities I was considering. I was looking at Amsterdam, also at Copenhagen. And uh, what I liked about Berlin was that within two weekends that I came, I got a free co-working space. I got a free lawyer uh, that was gonna help me actually uh, build the first like documentation for the company. And I also found people that immediately invited me to like parties uh, for a few weeks uh, uh, down the line. So I was like, this is a sign. <laughs> And after that, essentially, the city seemed to be uh, giving uh, a lot. Uh, but then on maybe on the flip side of the professional story, there was definitely a lot of uh, excitement for the climate change topic from more an activist perspective, uh, which I didn't find in London. So I definitely uh, felt the need to uh, connect to a city where the environment would be pushing uh, this agenda and maybe would be a bit more receptive to a business model that is a blend between doing good, uh, but also making money. So, so was, there, was there a defining moment? Was that the, the surfing experience where you kind of uh, ended up uh, cleaning the page? Was that a moment or was there another moment in which uh, you were fully sure that this is what you're going to do? This is what you're going to focus on. This is, I found my purpose. I want to I wanna do this thing. I'm not the kind of person that believes in uh, aha moments as a sole uh, entity in your life, which defines you for the rest of your existence. I do believe in serendipity though. And I think as you build up yourself down the line as a human, as a person of experiences, there's things that trigger you and they trigger you exactly at the moment when they have to, because you've learned enough to know that this is something that you should perceive as important. So in the context of the topic that I'm managing uh, my time within at the moment, um, I found this beach to be quite defining uh, because it really made me feel quite helpless in a way that I was sitting on this beautiful beach, which was supposed to be the most famous one, Banana Beach uh, in Agadir. And I was just surrounded by trash. And this was the place which offered the biggest waves and all the professional surfers were going there and so on. Uh, and you're thinking this trash is a combination of the stuff that came out of the ocean. And it's also uh, the stuff that people just left like a few days ago or a few weeks ago. And this is a place which is economically benefiting from um, the beauty of nature, from its conditions and its offer. Um, how are we not kind of respecting that? And 
that really made me uh, think, it triggered me a lot to want to learn more because I'm the kind of person that really wants to have a base, have a foundation before I start making opinions about stuff. Uh, and climate change is definitely something you should learn a bit of science before you start talking about. Uh, um, so that got me thinking, but I think it was a buildup uh, and there was a few things that in my life at that particular moment that were maybe triggering me to think of myself differently. Brexit happened at the same time. I was in a relationship that I wanted to end in any case. And, you know, uh, there was friends leaving London because of Brexit. Uh, I was to some extent unhappy with my current job because there was a lot of changes that happened after the financing round that they had just gotten. So my life was just asking me to think differently. And I guess this speech was uh, a way to uh, get some answers. This is a fantastic story. And, and I think one thing that everybody listening perhaps is thinking of is what exactly is the, the current situation? I mean, you, you mentioned you, you need to first study things and, and go more in detail with, with data and those kind of things. Can you maybe paint us a picture of how bad things are at the moment when it comes to climate change? Because we all hear climate change. It sounds like this thing, this is out there, but we don't have to take care about it now. But but you know it's coming but hey let's live our lives can you give us some data some some maybe more tangible information about what's the situation out there yeah one thing that i would like to clarify to start with is that for me uh studying science is not a condition for anyone to engage with the topic of climate change any given citizen or business can actually take action today uh, it is more for the professionals like me that have decided to also build a business case around that. Um, I think it's really important that you spend time on educating yourself about climate change from a scientific perspective, because then you become uh, knowledgeable about the consequences of the choices you make in terms of the business model you define and so on. The state of the art at the moment is uh, sadly really well captured uh, for decades now. Um, and this has been done uh, by many scientists, but these days also a lot more uh, by journalists. People are giving a lot of voice to the uh, people on the ground that are experiencing climate change already. Um, bottom line is that climate change already exists and it has been existing for a long time, uh, but now it's starting to hit the places where uh, Historically, we've thought we're going to have to wait for decades. So the Western world is starting to see climate change extensively on daily, monthly basis. Uh, 2021 was the year where we've seen the biggest increase in natural disasters in uh, also form and shape of wildfires. There's been a lot of um, uh, different uh, exaggerated events like floods and so on. All of these events are natural occurrences. They've been existing before climate change exists but they are extended in length and in impact by climate change. So climate change essentially uh, increases the implications of these negative events. So a flood is in any case going to happen because this is the way nature, again, rebalances itself. But the strength with which these events now happen uh, is one that is impacted by climate change. Um, for... Anyone that maybe understands it in a consumption perspective, uh, at the moment, uh, we as humanity are consuming 1.7 Earth, which means that essentially we're consuming close to double uh, of what the planet can offer us. And what we consume normally in the usual circumstances is actually a lot because we have agriculture that feeds us 
we have uh, any kind of uh, timber, which is actually all of the trees that we cut to be able to build furniture, whatever it is. Um, we have fiber that we produce in order to make clothes. Um, and if you think of these examples in the context of the industries that they represent, this is the food industry, this is the furniture industry, this is the built industry, so uh, real estate and so on. And uh, the final one is uh, fashion uh, or anything that is related to textiles. All of these industries are benefiting from the fossil fuel industry, which is essentially the one that allows them to like transport different products and to build them because the factories also need fuel in order to be able to operate and so on. Um, and uh, essentially the world at the moment at scale operates on coal, uh, which is kind of this, uh, as, it, as, it's, as it's called, like the, the brown energy, uh, which essentially is one that is incredibly polluting and is producing majority of the things that we have in our day-to-days, the tests that we do now because of COVID and so on, China and India are actually uh, relying on coal predominantly. Uh, and China is continuously opening new coal plants. So bottom line, uh, situation is not uh, particularly great. We're consuming more than we should. And we have a very strong uh, dependency on industries like the fossil fuel one, the fashion one, uh, also the built industry um, and also the agricultural, which are kind of these industries are the ones that are representing more than 80% of the emissions on this planet. Uh, and at the moment, with all of the measures that are being taken on a legislative level or on a um, you know consumer level where people become more conscious, we're still nowhere close to uh, any uh, carbon reduction. We've only achieved carbon reduction during COVID, which now bounced back fully uh, within just the last few months. And it's one of the main challenges, the, the fact that there is too many stakeholders involved and we should act as a one whole as a humanity. What do you think is, is the way forward? How, how should we start acting differently in order for us to kind of decrease the climate change effects? The different stakeholders and the interplay between them is the key to our success in addressing climate change. It is incredibly important that we engage citizens, businesses, governments, scientists, NGOs together and get them to contribute with their knowledge, their time and their resources uh, in order for this to be uh, the most optimal way for us addressing climate change. At this state of the climate change, uh, disaster that is kind of uh, already uh, in play, we have sadly no chance of fully stopping climate change, but rather we only have the chance to diminish or at least reduce the negative impacts of certain key elements of that. So we can reduce the increase in natural disasters as they uh, outplay. We can prepare our infrastructure to be better uh, equipped for these kinds of disasters where flooding essentially, as an example, uh, can overtake a city, the city can be uplifted, there's many different technologies that can help with that. So this is how we need to think about it. Uh, how is this playing out today? I would sadly say uh, there's still a lot of voices that speak uh, differently, that speak uh, a language that is not understood by the others, which also leads us to wasting a lot of time along the way. Uh, and that's what we plan on, and that's what we pl play uh, as a part with Plan A uh, 
in order to uh, support these stakeholders to start speaking the same language. Tell me about Plan A. What is Plan A for the planet? Uh, did you personally come up with the name? What does it mean? And, and basically, what do you guys do? There was a lot of serendipity in my life when Plan A was kicking off. I was having constantly all these inspirations and constantly these ideas. I still keep something that I call the idea box which is essentially like this massive spreadsheet with hundreds of entries that were ticking off one after the other in the course of the growth of the company. Uh, but that was kind of, you know, I had a, a I don't know, uh, the universe uh, dumped on me some ideas that then I gathered in a spreadsheet that uh, hopefully we'll be able to realize in the coming years. I did come up with the name um, and uh, Plan A uh, has always, uh, since day one, had the vision uh, that there is no Plan B. And what this means is that we need to utilize technology and science uh, in order to make uh, businesses uh, able to make better decisions. That's what we do. Um, in practice, what this translates into is a software as a service platform that enables businesses to track their net zero journey. Uh, and learn how to improve along the way. So they can calculate their emissions, they can calculate their impact on the planet, and then automatically through the use of machine learning and science, uh, we've been able to build a technology that tells them what are the levers for improvement, how long is it going to take them, and then uh, what is the pathway for this to be achieved, and what are the different activities they need to implement um, in order to hit their targets uh, and be a sustainability leader. Mm -hmm. And how how's the... How's the feedback so far? You, you guys started not so long ago and you've already been growing quite uh, rapidly, but what is the what's the feedback from, from large corporations, from uh, governments, from organizations? Do you do you find the support or is it still difficult to, to get people on board? If you would have asked me this question 12 or 15 months ago, I would have given one answer. Um, today, the support that we can access is uh, tremendous and that is not because of uh, anything else, but again, this interplay between a lot of different things that happened in the last 12 months. There's been the EU Green Deal, which really pushed the mindset of businesses that there's a necessity for them to change. There's been a lot of consumer, um, so to say, outcry for products that are unsustainable. There's also been a lot of employee uh, activity where employees have been uh, engaging their employers to start changing sometimes in a more of an aggressive way with like protests and so on. Uh, and uh, finally, there's been a lot of investment shift from uh, the traditional investment models to ESG ones, which include this environmental, social and governance uh, element to it. Um, this all is now leading to a lot of increase in the space uh, in which we operate in terms of investments. Um, there's also a lot of interest by people that want to join. We've never had issue with hiring people. We've always had a waiting list of people wanting to join, uh, which is something I'm super proud of because people really align with the values that we offer as a company, the mindset that we offer as a company. Um, and uh, finally, there's been uh, just over the last 12 months, a massive increase from businesses that want to work with us. We work with companies of the likes of BMW, Societe Generale, uh, European Commission, um, we have uh, other clients like Grover and 26 and so on. And essentially uh, all of them are, are willing to kind of put their mind to improving uh, on the sustainability topic. So a lot is going on in the space um, and it's all, I would say, incredibly positive. 
you could always ask for a further increase in speed, but uh, we're super happy to see uh, all of this interest and excitement for the space. That is great to hear that uh, actually there's a lot more interest coming in this direction and it should be this way. And you've also co-founded or founded uh, Green Tech Alliance. Could you, could you also tell us about that and what is it? Who's part of it? Who should consider becoming part of this alliance? The Green Tech Alliance is a project that was born two years ago that now is an NGO uh, that supports businesses that have a green product or process that they're developing. So green tech startups uh, to grow, to get access to capital, expertise and visibility. In a nutshell, it's now a community of 1,300 startups from all over the world that address different challenges related to climate change. Um, as part of the community, once you're accepted, because there's an interviewing and selection process, uh, you get to be given uh, the possibility to access more than 200 venture capital funds. Uh, also, uh, a lot of press people, journalists, uh, uh, amazing experts in impact as well. Um, and all of these have donated between one and three hours a month uh, to support this community uh, and essentially enable them to grow uh, with the uh, with the um, speed that it should, because obviously uh, we don't have a lot of time uh, in this particular domain. So basically everybody who's uh, in that kind of uh, space, they're welcome to get in touch and to to check it out and see how they can be part of it or or is that kind of a closed community in many ways everyone is welcome to apply uh the website is greentech.earth so you just go uh, on there and you fill in a form uh we do have an interview process which is a 15-minute interview uh where we check for greenwashing uh we have only accepted 1300 startups where we have already looked at more than 5000 so um, our selection process really focuses on is the company following science, uh, do they understand what's greenwashing, can I making sure that they do not in any way either encourage it or offer it with their product uh, offering. Um, and essentially is a, a kind of a secured place where we make sure that the founders are at the core of everything that we offer, there's no commercial activities, we don't have a business model so we don't charge any corporates to push their agendas on us and so on. It really is for founders by founders. I love the the power of communities and I'm super, you know, one of the reasons I admire you on top of all the other things is actually building these communities that are really from the heart, really honest and not uh, trying to serve somebody and through benefits in some kind of a monetary way. I mean, it's, it's all about, okay, this is the business part. This is where we, we make kind of uh, our thoughts. But then again, this is something that, that really needs to be addressed. And, and coming together is the best way to do it. Um, one question I have is, is I think for, for many people, they want to help. They want to be part of doing their part when it comes to climate change. But for the ordinary human being like myself and for the small business owners, they that they want to do something, but they don't know what you know. How can I? How can they support our combating of the of the climate change? Like, what would be some pieces of advice for for the ordinary human being out there? I would give three particular uh, suggestions or ideas that uh, one can decide to pick up 
all uh, one after the other, or maybe just one. Uh, the first one is related to uh, the way you spend your money. Um, people buy on daily basis products. This could be the lunch that you have. Uh, this could be maybe the furniture that you have. Maybe this is something related to uh, your uh, fashion choices and so on. Uh, all of these companies uh, have a lot to tell you uh, if they are doing something good for the planet. Uh, if they're not doing much for the planet, most likely it's not even on their website. It's not part of the value proposition. So make sure next time when you purchase something, you look at uh, the packaging, uh, you look at the website of the company and just consider what are the impacts that they're considering that they make on the planet and how are they planning on mitigating them or already doing so. The second one uh, is related to uh, voting. Uh, each one of us is a citizen in a country uh, and each one of us has the freedom to vote. Uh, and uh, actually uh, it is sometimes uh, forgotten, but we have voting opportunities also on a European level uh, as part of being part of the EU, or we have it on a country level wherever we're based. Uh, and in all of these circumstances, there's someone that is working on the green agenda. Um, I'm not the person that is going to be telling anyone to vote for anyone, uh, but there's definitely now uh, enough movement in the in the political sphere on the topic where like really mainstream parties that historically have never spoken about climate change speak about that. So um, that's something that you should consider because at the end of the day, governments sit on a lot of budgets and they also go to big conferences like COP26, um, where essentially they have big choices to make uh, and you know a lot of um, influence uh, to deploy, so to say. Uh, and then the final one is related to uh, the way you choose where you work. Uh, I'm not uh, suggesting for everyone to start working in a company like Plan A. Uh, there's not that many of us to be able to employ uh, the whole planet, but any company uh, as the companies we work with uh, actually has the chance to be acting on climate change and most likely uh, you simply need to ask uh, either your finance uh, finance or uh, HR team uh, or uh, just anyone that is related to the sustainability topic or is taking this job as a site activity that is not defined within uh, the boundaries of the job description about what is the activity of the company. And if it doesn't exist, just kick it off yourself. Uh, there's actually a lot of cases where companies come to us through their employees, where the employees really uh, essentially say, there's been nothing done so far about climate change. We really want to do something. Uh, I am leading the green team, uh, even though my job is in engineering. Uh, and I want to use your software because uh, I really want to be able to track things and then start uh, improving. So. These are a few ways in which people can engage, uh, buying, voting, and then uh, working for a company uh, that kicks off something related to sustainability. This is very helpful and very practical, Luvneo. Thank you for sharing. I think uh, it it really comes down to, to, to setting this as a mindset and actually spending a bit of time to think about what can I do? What could be my role, my little role? Uh, we had a fantastic guest at the other podcast, The Leaders Who Care. Um, her name is Masami Sato, and she's the CEO and founder of an organization called B1G1, Buy One, Give One, which is an amazing nonprofit organization. Uh, you you got to check it out. Uh, it might be some good synergies there. But basically, their main 
message, the core message was about the power of small, the power of doing small things. If we all come together, everybody does something good, it's way better than one person doing tremendous amount of good, right? Uh, so, so don't underestimate the power of, of the small things, the small actions, the small choices that you do on a daily basis. So that's uh, absolutely. That's absolutely. So, okay, uh, Lumila, you just mentioned uh, you're running planet for the planet. I've seen you traveling like crazy all around the place, doing conferences, attending climate forums. You are part of the Green Tech Alliance. You have to run a team. You have to, you recently been raising funding. It's so many things I can imagine on your agenda. How do you, how do you prioritize? Could you share with, uh, with our audience? Like, what do you have a process? Do you have a method of, you know, setting the objectives on a long-term perspective, but then bringing it into the day-to-day and deciding on what should I do first? So I always work uh, with the principle of 80-20, where essentially 80% of what I do is really defined and it's related to the OKRs of the company and is related to really the structure and the strategy that we've developed together with also our um, with our investors, with my team as well, the management of the company. Uh, but I always allow 20% for uh, inspiration, creativity, and also work on educating myself. Uh, I think being uh, an active participant in the climate change realm does not allow you to sit on the knowledge that is from 10 years ago. You really constantly need to learn because there's new technology that is addressing the challenges of our clients. Uh, businesses have a different type of challenge uh, if you have to compare them to uh, maybe an individual or a government. So we really need to be equipped with this knowledge to be able to help them properly to decarbonize. Um, and uh, within the 80%, what sits normally is work related to uh, long-term projects. So this is like the OKRs. Um, then uh, there is work related to particularly the commercial team because I lead the commercial activities of the company. So this is sales, customer success, marketing, uh, and also my own team, uh, which is kind of the office of the CEO, but we call it Jasmine. Uh, and uh, the Jasmine team essentially is, uh, uh, is, the, is the fourth pillar. Um, and there, like, you have to constantly uh, engage with the team, uh, track all the progress, uh, align targets, and so on. Um, and then the final part is, and I'm the CEO and the co-founder, is really spending time with the team and seeing what are the bottlenecks, how can they be addressed, and so on. Um, and then the 20% that sits within uh, really uh, learning uh, the new things, uh, Speaking to applicants for the Green Tech Alliance, I still do the interviews, uh, not all of them, but some, because it allows me to learn, uh, understand what's the problems that these companies face, how can we uh, support them, but also how can we support our clients, uh, because that definitely is super helpful. Um, and uh, I also uh, enjoy quite a lot uh, educating myself about leadership and this really uh kind of is one of the passions that i put within these 20 percent as well and do you have any kind of a pro like you mentioned this okrs and long-term objective learning with the team but but from a practical standpoint do you have any kind of a process like on a weekly basis like sitting with a cup of tea and just reflecting and trying to figure out what should i spend my next week on yeah so uh, my agenda, being fully honest, is incredibly packed. Like I'm booked for months ahead for certain activities. 
the events I speak at last year, we counted like more than 100 and something events at which I spoke, which not all of them require traveling because of COVID, but all of them require certain preparation. Like you need to create slides and so on uh, to tell the story that you have to tell. Um, how I work is actually quite uh, in a basic way. For me, technology is not always the best solution for preparing myself for things. I'm actually incredibly productive on a piece of paper. So sometimes when I just have a big problem or I need to like design a slide or like you need to design a story that I have to tell uh, to engage a new partner or whatever, uh, I really sit with a piece of paper and just basically like outline all the ideas that come up. When it comes to the planning of the week, what I usually do is that I spend um, my Sunday, uh, so the day before the Monday, uh, looking at my calendar, seeing what are the things that um, actually uh, require certain preparation. At this stage of time, like I, I have uh, enough people to help me also prepare certain things, so I don't need to do everything by myself, which is great, because uh, that was incredibly time consuming for a long time, and uh, it didn't allow for a lot of strategy and that kind of inspiration uh, uh, to come up because you're constantly just like taking off stuff from the to-do list. Um, and I essentially like list all the stuff that I need to do for the week. Uh, and then I give them a priority and then I rewrite them again uh, so that they come in the particular priority. And then I uh, also put some time that I assume this task or this activity is going to take for me to do. Um, and then I also have like a system to say uh, if this is only for me or if it's for like a multi people kind of set up where I need to work with someone from my team uh, and then all of this like uh, process then gets to be uh, brought back on Jira uh, which is the tool that we use as a company to document things uh, we also have like some to-do lists and like kind of task lists there uh, but before it goes on uh, this kind of a software I really spent uh, a good half an hour one hour uh, to just think through uh, how long is it going to take me to do something. Um, another productivity trick that Im is embedded into all of these things is actually my intuition. Uh, I have a really good sense of when a certain task needs to be uh, done. And if I have like an immediate sensation that I just don't want to do that, then I know it's not a priority. Of course, like there's circumstances where you just cannot say that um, because it's just not the... Uh, not the case, but um, I do follow my intuition quite strongly. Well, I understand there's sometimes a deadline 10 in the morning and doesn't matter your intuition, you gotta you gotta deliver, right? So so there's, there's certain situations, but there's a lot of those things that we set as priorities that could be moved around. So so now you can start with the other thing and then later come back to the thing that you initially were thinking about doing. So so you feel like okay, now is the time to to handle this thing, or if you've been um overdoing certain type of tasks and you get this fatigue and you kind of want to do something different and you can come back to it. Um, but it's interesting, you know, you did over a hundred speeches, which means, you know, maybe not so much traveling, but still preparation. You got to be there. You got to be sharp. You got to have a bit of space. So how important is for you delegation? Have you ever struggled with delegation? Because there's many founders that actually struggle with, properly delegating for a bunch of reasons, but one of which is, you know, they can't let a, let go of control and, and you know, I, I can do it better with them and those kind of things. But have you ever struggled with delegation and what would be your 
your advice to the founders listening, the up-and-coming founders when it comes to delegating priorities to your team? I think the moments when I struggled with delegation were the moments when I was still immature about management. Uh, I think there's no good manager that is succeeded without having an incredibly strong team around them. You don't have enough time in the day in order to be able to tick off all the tasks if you do them by yourself, especially as the uh, priorities become even more uh, connected to someone else's agenda. I mean, if you speak about investors and so on, the pressure increases, so you really need to deliver and uh, you can't build this Jenga uh, kind of uh, tower um, and then uh, expect for things to really not crumble at some point. I rely on a few very close people that are part of my team. I have a chief of staff, I have a personal assistant, and I also have a, an associate. These are three people that work very closely with me. Um, and uh, all of them have a big part to play that has to uh, do with optimizing my time, but also supporting me in thinking about things and also delivering on certain uh, tasks. Uh, there's things that I have not given up uh, that many founders have at this stage when the company is pre-series B and so on. And that is not out of uh, the necessity to overmanage, but I, they just give me satisfaction. So I, I want to keep them. One example is uh, preparing for the speeches that I do. I might ask uh, my associate to do some research, but the ultimate story that I'm telling is always developed by me and is defined by the, the latest things that I've learned and how I felt and the temperature that I'm sensing uh, in, in the uh, community uh, that gives me an understanding of what is uh, the pulse of the, of the day. Um, but what I'm saying now is important to mention that uh, it's only true for the last few months. So, and that is not because I wasn't able to delegate, we just didn't have resources for me to have all these people around me. Now we have them because we closed our Series A last year and I felt comfortable enough uh, that this was the time to be able to delegate resources uh, for me to build my own team because my time was precious, uh, but everyone else's time is precious. And if I wanna be the most useful to the team, I really need to be present and if I'm, continuously doing research uh, for um, something that I have to do, stuff that I've been doing when I was in the beginning of investment banking or whatever, probably I'm not using to the best extent my time. That's right. I spoke to a friend of mine a couple of years ago uh, and still the FT, he's the CEO of a company called Close. is uh, a founder, entrepreneur, uh, hustler. So, I started following his podcast, which uh, is called uh, The Startup Chat, a great, great podcast. Um, and one of the episodes, they spoke about the concept of, they called it managing up and creating a culture where the people that you bring on board, they start managing their managers and they start managing you. Um, and it seems like from what you're describing, you somehow created a culture where people take initiative, they take ownership, and sometimes they manage you up because you are very busy, you have so many things to do. So they need to, you know, to come by and say, hey, Romeo, I need this file. Uh, you haven't done this thing. And, and they start managing you, which is which is amazing, by the way, for, for every founder to, to have such a culture. 
Would you have any advice on that on that topic? Uh, do you think that you guys are working in that type of way, and and how do you actually build such a culture? It's all about trust, and it's all about the kind of people you pick uh, already at the recruitment process. We have a very stringent and complex recruitment process that is not to scare away people that want to apply, but we are not the kind of company that needs thousands of people uh, because we need uh, a bunch of intelligent scientists, machine learning experts, which now are going to be at 100 in a few uh, months. Uh, but all these people, each one, we've spent a lot of time on selecting, interviewing, seeing if there's a cultural fit. And most importantly, if there's a um, trust fit, because there's an element that uh, defines the success of the company that is deeply embedded into how much are we able to trust each other from the moment when we start working together. Uh, I'll give a practical example. So uh, the person that is my uh, uh, associate, uh, Karim, he's uh, someone that is incredibly close to me and we get along super well. He started in Plan A as an intern um, and essentially within uh, three months uh, after the internship was done, uh, which was like a mandatory one for his university, we offered him a full-time position um, and that essentially was there to uh, um, support me. Um, and what ended up happening was that within the first three months, like there was a lot of uh, chaotic movement. He was super smart, but there were still things that he needed to learn. We took the time of the internship at this, this process. It could be the probation period of someone or whatever um, to then just tell them what is the plan A way of doing things. And then after this period was done, um, he essentially started growing into this person that I now fully trust in managing my uh, um, agenda, uh, also knowing what kind of things we should prioritize for uh, certain projects and also has his own projects to manage. This is not something that happens overnight. Uh, it's not like someone joins the company and everything is fixed. Uh, the first step is really to uh, align people to what you've built in your team as a principle, as an idea, as a vision. And then as a second step to really give them the space for them to demonstrate their capabilities. Um, and this demonstration is really by uh, done by constant uh, reward in terms of we speak a lot on a weekly basis about the successes and the failures in the company. And we say, okay, well done to this person. And there's no pointing fingers when there's a failure. It's more like, what can we learn from the situation? Like where we, as a team, didn't deliver in the way that we would have wanted to. Um, and then the final uh, kind of element of this is really building a culture of a lot of positivity. Uh, I laugh a lot with my team. Uh, for me, like, making jokes is literally part of my job. <laughs> I feel like it's a, it's a necessity that you need to deliver on if you really want to be uh, making sure that people like, know that whatever the challenge is, we're going to fix it, we're going to figure it out. And uh, it's just such a, uh, it's a, such a pleasant environment to exist in uh, if this exists. So if you put together all these things, like giving the space to people, picking experts with a lot of like alternates in the process, and then having this positive culture, it really builds this, sensation of uh, accomplishment in anyone, but also for the company as a whole. Um, and that essentially leads to this uh, managing up culture because there's trust, there's uh, like reflection, uh, and there's also a lot of um, equilibrium that is built amongst the stakeholders in the company.
I love it and when you mentioned uh, it's my part of my job to to make people laugh uh, reminds <laughs> me of a friend of mine he's a humor engineer nice so <laughs> I want to meet this guy <laughs> I'll connect you guys he's also been on the podcast so you you the audience you guys can go find the episode with Andrew Travin uh great episode and he he likes to say what gets done what gets fun gets done and and, and his main idea is because he's coming from uh, corporate uh, working as an engineer in Procter and Gamble, and he realized so many smart people, and it's just so boring. <laughs> and like, yeah. I don't want to be part of it. But when you kind of make things more fun, more light, more in, in you know, like even through struggles, when you can crack a joke and you can you can make it more fun, like not taking yourself too serious, actually things are lighter. Actually, you get more things done. Actually, more people want to come and be part of this journey. So this is such a great reminder for especially the technical founders out there that, you know, everything needs to be serious and you need to, yeah, but it also needs to be, to be fun. Otherwise, you know, why are we doing it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we're all human beings. And I think human beings are emotional uh, animals, uh, we're social animals and we're dependent on each other so much uh, to feel well. And that's not to say that every single person really needs the acceptance and the appreciation of others. It's more, you give me a smile, automatically my response and my body would want to smile. And that's kind of the way uh, just we're even uh, coded. Uh, so if you work with that, not in, of course, a manipulative way, but more like use it as a superpower that every single one of us has, I honestly think that the world is going to be a better place, but also it's going to be a place with a lot more productivity because uh, you wouldn't have spent this extra five minutes on thinking, oh, this is so boring. Like, I just don't want to work with that person or whatever, because that person has given you the impression that this is boring. So, uh I truly believe in the power of positivity and sense of humor. It has uh, a special part in my uh, heart, especially given the context of climate change, because you can't work with a topic that is so daunting uh, on a daily basis if you really don't have this get stuff done mindset uh, with a lot of belief in uh, the possibility that there's a positive outcome uh, available. It truly, it truly is a, is finding kind of the right balance like this part of your job as a as a founder as a as a leader of the company between keeping things light having fun being positive but not going too far there unless it's mixed with productivity getting things done producing results like th these things come together they don't have to be something separate and when you when you create such a culture such a mixture things start to work and magic right like people start to trust each other more people start to come and, and back the other person and so on and so forth. So, so creating such a culture is, is uh, such an important part for every leader, not just to be an operational leader that's delegating and managing, but actually being the leader that will be understanding when to change the hat, understanding when to take a pause and, and have a 30-minute conversation with somebody for no reason which was not in the agenda, but, but you just need to, to be there as a leader and listen to, your, to the person that's not feeling well or have a challenge or something. Okay, that wasn't on the spreadsheet, but hey, this is, this is what leadership is. You, you got to be really flexible. And I wonder, Lubomila, if you go back to the beginnings of your entrepreneurial journey, what would you advise your, yourself? You know, like back in the time that you were starting, what would be the top three 
pieces of advice that you kind of learned on the way and you would like to to share with your former version of yourself one of them is definitely don't worry because i believe in the first two years of plan a i was constantly worried that something might mess up uh that we're gonna not go through the month because there was not enough money and i think one of the superpowers of entrepreneurs is actually this out of the planet out of this universe mindset and believe that everything is possible and i think this is the only reason why companies have gotten so successful is because beyond the structures in which they operate uh, outside of the odds of uh, kind of sitting within a certain uh, boundary of what is possible they've done it and i think that's one thing that i've learned uh, and i truly have seen the power of uh, community in that uh, i've seen the support of my family i've seen the support of uh, people that decided to mentor me uh, out of nowhere like i have at the moment people that mentor me that i'm just like mind blow how is this even possible because they're like the top leaders of the world and you just need to know that nothing is going to mess up uh because everything is a learning uh everything is really a, a strong opportunity for you to become the better version of yourself and even if the company in the shape and form that you thought of it and dreamt of it doesn't realize there is a way to to go forward there is possibility for a pivot there is a possibility for you to maybe sell to someone there is a possibility for you to just like twist the business model or put it in another geography but you should never think that the limit is based on what you have set up first uh, and just constantly reinvent uh, yourself and also the 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 learnings there um a second tip is on uh get the basics straight like i think one of the things i really pride myself on uh so it's not necessarily a tip that i would give myself because we really were focused since the beginning is like i'm really detail focused and from day one planning has had like a lot of like a structured google drive and like a very structured uh place where we held notes and so on so many companies get to series a even and they just don't have their documentation straight and they end up wasting so much time uh just to reorganize the house uh because they don't know where the contracts of the employees are they don't know where these kinds of things are and this is a very simple thing to put together in the beginning and just be uh, incredibly structured about it but i think founders uh, uh have the responsibility to take care of that and if you take care of this as fast as possible from the beginning onwards even when there's one or two people in the company you're going to make yourself uh, a favor uh, for the future um and then the final one uh is probably related to uh learning to ask for help i was not coming from the corporate world and from like a lot of macho uh, shark environments i didn't have ever the allowance to ask for help or didn't feel that it was possible because it was a sign of weakness um i think one of the key learnings when i was building plan a is that you just ask people for help and they just give it to you uh, and it's insane like people give time to develop a website for you people do a lot of things for free if they believe in what you do and if they like you so uh, i'm sure all of the listeners have people that like them so rely on these people to actually support you on your journey because uh, that's going to uh, allow you to keep clean space for the stuff that you're good at uh, while others help you with things that they're good at but you're not oh thanks so much lovnil wow what a what a great uh, inspiring but also practical uh, set of advices here 
I want to go back to the first one. And many people look at you, Lubomila, and they're like, wow, this, this lady is so confident. She's aiming so high and she's so ambitious. But I wonder where is that coming from? Like, could, could you could you build this confidence? Did, did you have to build this confidence? Do you sometimes, uh, you're kind of in doubt and you kind of, I need to jump into the sea and learn how to swim? Or like, where is that coming from? And and would you, if you reflect on your journey, kind of find some some bits and pieces of, of where is this coming from? How did I develop this confidence? I'm a human like any other, and I feel uh, uh, tired, and I feel sad, and I feel happy. Uh, there's nothing that is a special uh, source there that is different for anyone else. I think what gives me a lot of confidence is, first of all, my cause. I feel honored to be working on addressing climate change because I feel like the awareness that I have is something that takes time for people to develop, and I already have it, and I had it since I was uh, 27, uh, and that's something that really has allowed me to mature in as an adult into this mindset and in this value system. Um, the second thing that gives me confidence is that, uh, honestly, my life has improved uh, by levels uh, since I started working on climate change because I've all of a sudden have been 100% surrounded by people that are driven by the belief that the world needs to improve that are not sleeping, that are not like stuck in the status quo uh, because this community is so strong in their uh, trust that something better can happen for humanity. And uh, that gives me uh, also uh, this satisfaction that whatever I'm doing is part of a bigger picture that I can contribute to, but I'm not alone. Uh, and that's quite often a challenge that many entrepreneurs have where you feel quite lonely and you're really, yeah, I can speak to other founders, but it's not necessarily that we're driven by the same thing. Whereas in climate change, you really have to be thinking as a community, as a, a consortium, uh, which is also one of the reasons why the Green Tech Alliance is such a powerful uh, community um, that is a support system for many. Um, and the final one uh, is really related to um, this basic idea that, uh, what if you didn't try? I think that if you constantly think of yourself with a lot of doubts and you're thinking, yeah, I'm standing in front of uh, Elon Musk and I literally have the chance to go and like say uh, hi or whatever, like uh, whatever the opinion you have about him. And what if you didn't try? And like, it just would have been a wasted opportunity that the universe or circumstances gave you uh, and in my daily activities in Plan A, I'm always thinking like, sure, I'm going to speak to like the boss of the London Stock Exchange. I don't think it's a problem. Like I'm a, I'm a knowledgeable person in my own domain. They're knowledgeable in their, their domain. Probably the best thing that can happen is a synergy. Otherwise, there's a conversation between two intelligent, uh, kind people. Uh, so like this is the, the way I, I think about that. So taking chances on myself and also on the opportunities that I'm given. So these are the three things that have been uh, kind of driving me. And I think confidence is something that everyone should have because we're all alive and given uh, one chance to really do something with our existence. And if we don't take it uh, and we just spend time on the couch watching Netflix, uh, which is someone else's actually success, you know, someone else's entrepreneurial journey, 
Um, we could have wasted an opportunity to become the best piano player in the world. Uh, we could have wasted an opportunity to build the best family, uh, to have, uh, you know, the biggest garden because you actually have a talent for taking care of plants. So I'm just giving profanic and maybe not uh, very clear uh, examples that might fit different people and different agendas, but we all are a success if we decide that we can be. Yeah, every minute you worry, every minute you gossip, every minute you spend on on negative stuff. I mean, it doesn't mean that sometimes you're not feeling down and we're human beings, right? But if we can teach ourselves and build the muscle to mentally spend the least possible time into this more negative place and the more time into producing things, uh, asking people, as you said, like, you know, some of the best people in the industry reach out to them. Like, what's the worst? They, they probably not reply or tell you, I'm not interested. So what? You're in the same place at the same time. By the way, I'm curious about that. You mentioned that you had a chance to be mentored by some of the, you know, some some of the best people in your, in your industry. Did, did you did you reach out to them? Like, did you meet meet them at a conference? Like, how did that happen? Like, I think it's a it could be a great advice for anybody looking for a mentor. How do you approach people who are extremely busy, who are at the top of their game in in, in their industry, so that they actually have interest to to mentor you? Going to your first question of how I found these people that mentor me, uh, one is my mom, so I found her in my house. <laughs> that was a that was a that was a straightforward one. Uh, she's in business, so that helps me a lot to think of myself as a businesswoman, uh, and that's actually different than a businessman. Um, and I think uh, her experience uh, also has given me a lot of confidence that. Uh, a woman is equal to a man, uh, a woman can be uh, a leader and should be a, a role model and must be a role model because we don't have uh, enough of them today. Um, another one that uh, is like in a super higher position uh, in one of the central banks in Europe, uh, he actually uh, came through an introduction and he literally, after the two com the first conversation we had, he told me, I want to mentor you, uh, which was, uh, I, I guess, my passion for that. I Because I, I invited him to become part of uh, some work that we were doing uh, resonated with him. And he decided that he can be of help. And he has been instrumental to the way I think uh, sometimes cynically about the financial industry and how it can change and how what are the obstacles in which it can change. Um, Another person came through uh, a conference uh, at which I was invited to speak and he was also a speaker, but he's like a god. <laughs> um, and essentially we, uh, because it was quite funny because I, uh, I didn't know who he was uh, and I started chatting to him because we were like basically in this like speaker's lounge and so on. And uh, I, I knew that he was uh, clearly someone that is speaking at the event and the event was like super high level. so. I, okay an important guy but i didn't necessarily know his face and uh, didn't we didn't introduce ourselves to one another to start with and we just started cracking jokes from the beginning we were laughing so much and uh at some point he basically said yeah i advised the chinese government on their sustainability agenda i was like oh okay <laughs> and uh that kind of kicked it off and it, i mean, i understood that i i obviously have a lot to learn from this person and 
ever since it kind of also organically, I asked him for a few phone calls and then uh, he uh, literally since then has been of massive support for me. Uh, how do you find these people? I think you need to have your request really like straight, but also loose enough so that it doesn't feel like this person is like tied uh, to a commitment or like is pushed against the wall. Uh, people have time to have one phone call, uh, use this one phone call to impress them. And then after that, decide uh, maybe what you've learned from this call and how you can apply this so that you ask them for another session. I don't believe in this whole idea of like, I want you to mentor me. I mentor a lot of people and a few of them have asked me to do that. And because of the fact that they had the guts to do it, I've uh, committed, uh, but I, I feel like it should be also to some extent more organic because people are always gonna find half an hour to speak to you uh, or 15 minutes. If you feel like it's like, uh, I don't know, Bill Gates or whatever, like if you, it's worth, it's obviously th this kind of a person is super busy, but it's worth trying. And if they give you the 15 minutes, just take them. Uh, and be there to impress, but also to uh, explain what's your vision, what are your obstacles, because these people need to know how they can be of help. Because if it's just an ambitious person that wants to connect themselves to someone that is successful, then probably there's a bit of a disbalance. Fantastic. Thank you so much, little Mila. And just when you're speaking and sharing all those things, I just want to tell people, this is kind of like the law of attraction, right? Like the the law of attraction starts with creating clarity, but as opposed to the movie that was very famous 10 years ago, The Secret, you don't have to sit on a couch and wait for something to come to your house. You got to go out there and you got to ask. You got to go out there, you got to take action. You got to go out there and that's how you attract things. You attract things by your intention combined with massive action in this direction. It might come from a different place. You might get introduced to Bill Gates by somebody, not by sending him an email, but maybe by... I don't know, you met Elon Musk and he kind of said, hey, talk to my friend Bill, right? But that's how you do it at the end of the day. So, so hey, guys, be active, go out there, you know, find these big purposes, Lubomila, and I'm sure things are going to work better for each and every one of us. Lubomila, it's been such a pleasure having you. I have three and a half more hours of questions, so I'm sure we're going to bring you back at some point. Uh, but uh, if you can maybe just uh, wrap up this episode with final words to all the entrepreneurs and people out there. And um, of course, if you can also include where can people get in touch with you and with uh, Planet for the Planet. So uh, to get in touch with me, go on LinkedIn. I am incredibly active there. So we'd be super happy to connect and also to hear if anyone has any questions or comments, uh, always there to respond. To wrap it up, I think, uh, first of all, thank you for this really pleasant and energy boosting conversation i think uh, i am now feeling even more pumped for 2022 it's a good way to start the year this is my uh uh first podcast of the year so super excited to be to be kicking off with you um in terms of the the kind of ideas that i've shared i think if there is a common denominator amongst them is that people just need to believe in themselves uh we lack confidence as a society and that is also not unfolding the full potential that uh, we all have. I think the first step to being confident is starting to question which things are hindering you and maybe what is not allowing you. Is it your environment? Is it people that constantly tell you negative things? Is it like actually how you think about yourself and start working on these things? And then 
uh, as a second step, surround yourself with people that really uh, educate you, that push you to learn, to be better version of yourself. And finally, be this person for others. Uh, be this person that really helps people uh, define themselves as a success story, encourage people to think of themselves as a success story, because I think quite often uh, in life, the biggest challenge is actually the side from which you look at a problem or at the situation. Um, most often you are looking into something uh, that is incredibly positive, that is a big opportunity, but you didn't take a chance on it because you thought that this seems either mediocre or I don't see how this fits my whole bill and so on. Take chances on life, take chances on yourself. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks everybody for listening. This is episode 90, which means there's 89 more episodes. If you go to Apple Podcast, <laughs> Spotify, Anchor, any other media podcast platform, I'm super excited and grateful for having Lubomila today. Make sure to check out Plan A for the Planet. And of course, be with us next week because we're going to have another exciting guest, Arden Kass. If you've watched the TV show Billions, he's the hot chick. He's a Wall Street psychologist, uh, top level, uh, that's uh, going to share a lot of great advice on how to perform at your best. Thank you so much for being with us and see you again at the next episode of Productivity Mastery. Thank you guys for listening. And if you're looking for somebody to help you step up your team performance and boost your productivity, make sure to check out stoyanyankov.com for online workshop solutions and programs designed to help you go through the current situation in a smoother manner. Stay safe and keep moving forward.